From Matthew 11:25 through 30, uh, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So let me share with you one other gift that Hannah, uh, I just had lunch with her a couple months ago before we uh, relocated up here from North Carolina. Hannah's just graduated from high school and off to college next year, and I just wanted to spend time with her. And uh, one of the other gifts that Hannah gave to me every Sunday, uh, which was so, just so fine. I mean, you had to be in the service, you had to know what was going on, but we would do passing of the peace before I would preach. And so, the peace of Christ, greet one another with peace, and I, I would be standing more on the floor and Hannah would, would be sitting about halfway back over on this side with her parents and uh, her sister and brother. And Hannah would get up and immediately walk all the way to the front and give me a hug. And she'd say, may the peace of Christ be with you. Now you talk about gifts. <laughs> you talk about something that'll help you preach. I think of Hannah just coming up. And so at lunch, uh, I asked, I said, Hannah, why did you hug me every Sunday? Um, when I would do the peace of Christ. She said, well, when we went through the communities class together, you said, when you do the peace of Christ, go hug somebody. So I figured I'd hug you. <laughs> so every Sunday I got this beautiful hug. And again, it was you know, like just what you did. Everybody's greedy talking about another. But if you were watching Hannah, she'd make a line straight to me and give me a hug. And that was such an amazing gift. Uh, we're doing this series of Matthew 12, 11, 28 through 30, but starting at verse 25. And uh, today we're going to build on what's in the book that we're reading along with uh, the sermon series, Gentle and Lowly, about how Jesus is inviting us into his heart. This is the one place in Scripture in the 89 chapters of the Gospels uh, that Jesus says, here's my heart, I am gentle and lowly. Uh, that Jesus is inviting us into this gentle and lowly heart. So if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian, look at Jesus. But he's revealing his very character towards us, that he is gentle and he is lowly. And he says in here that he wants to bring rest to us, rest for our souls, and uh, another book that you can read along with this, if you're really tracking with wanting to go deeper into this passage for yourself, is a book by Chuck DeGroe called Wholeheartedness. And he talks about his own journey as a seminary professor, counselor, spiritual director. He talks about how the antidote to frustration, loneliness, fatigue, is to, uh, and exhaustion is to become wholehearted. So I want to frame that word for you. When Jesus says, I want to give you rest, 
He's talking, I want to give you a sense of wholeheartedness. And that's what we're going to dive into this morning. So let's look at the key words here. We're going to do more of a Bible study this morning. Obviously, I'll preach a little bit. I can't help myself. Uh, but we're going, to, we're going to look at the key words here. So the first thing in verse 28 is Jesus says, come. And, and this is so important because we don't want to run by it real quickly. Because I know you hear me say, come. But in your heart, do you go, I want to go. <laughs> I want to I come, Jesus. As you, we travel in this passage over the next few weeks, Jesus is going to be whispering to you, inviting you, come. And what do you do? Now, one of the things we see in the Jeremiah 6, 16 and 17 verses, uh, we see it in Isaiah 30, where God speaks to his people, and his people basically say, no. <laughs> Uh, there's some great stories that you can read um, about unrequited love. But when we think about Jesus and his love for me and you, part of that could be about us not loving him back when he speaks to us and invites us to come. So let me encourage you to hear him say to you today, come, and you say, Jesus, take me to where I need to be. I want to follow you. I want to go. So we don't want to miss that today. We also want to know that, see that he reveals himself to children to get there because you might already have all kinds of doubts or questions or reasons to not go, to not hear him say come. Uh, but Jesus says, if you want to find your way into the truth of what I'm inviting you to, you have to reclaim your childlike heart. You have to become that little child again. Uh, some of you know I'm Spent a lot of time thinking about helping people, counseling with people. And always in learning somebody's story is to ask them, what were you like before you experienced your first trauma? What were you like as a person? Uh, what was it like to be around you as a little child before you really got your heart broken? What were you like? And now that you've lived through that, obviously you have a lot of fear of becoming that child again because you're afraid of getting your heart broken. And Jesus knows what holds you and me back, and he wants to help us overcome it. But he invites us to say, I'm revealing myself to you because I want you to know that I know how weary you are and how exhausted you are. I know that you've labored, and uh, Jesus is basically all of you who are exhausted. But there's another way to think about this because it's part of the pain of the culture we live in, your neighbors, your family members who don't know God, is Jesus is saying, come all to me, all of you who are lonely. If you've ever worked with or been around people who really struggle with loneliness, it is exhausting. It is a great burden. It's a great fear. Uh, the Eleanor Rigby syndrome, uh, staying isolated, living in a silo, protecting yourself. There's a tremendous burden to being lonely. And all of us experience that. And Jesus says, come to me if you're lonely, because I know it exhausts you to think about, why do I feel so alone? I'm surrounded by people. I'm surrounded by a lot of great gifts. I've got all the things I could ever ask for materially, but spiritually, emotionally, I feel all alone. Um, there is a book that I'm reading right now, which is another book to pick up and read and even for community groups to do together or to do 
uh, with your spouse. Uh, it's called Beyond Loneliness by Trevor Hudson. He's a pastor in South Africa, uh, a guy who's an amazing writer and thinker, but my spiritual director that I work with um, really turned me on to this book and said, Clyde, this book is so good. And as I read it, I was reading it for people out here. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to help all these lonely people that I start reading and go, oh, that's me too. Um, you know, that, this is so helpful, but this book's called Beyond Loneliness. It's a small book, but you, like Gentle and Lowly, oh my goodness, it is so, so good. So if you're struggling with loneliness, if it's really weighing you down uh, to the point of just fatigue and wanting to give up, if you're hanging on by a thread, let me commend to you Trevor Hudson's book. Um, but when we, what we see here is Jesus says, what qualifies you to come is to admit you feel this. All you need to feel is your need for him, realizing this is the way I feel. I feel lonely. I feel exhausted. I feel misunderstood. I feel rejected. I am so weary. There's a restlessness in me. There's an internal murmur. Um, that what's wrong with me? What is wrong with me? Um, you know, when I'm really angry and I'm not thinking well or doing well with somebody, uh, my temptation is to say to them, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Has anybody ever said that to you? That's not a loving invitation. <laughs> okay, that's the opposite, gentle and lowly, but you can hear it, it's shaming. Like there is something fundamentally wrong with you that excludes you from whatever. Now, the, the great reformer John Calvin says is that, and here's the key thing too, to look at this first, it really jumped out at me this week. Jesus says, come to me all. Okay, the word, circle that word all. It's for all of us to come to him today. And what Calvin points out is that People will do this, they'll have, he uses the word perverted doubt that somehow they're excluded from this invitation. Jesus says, all, all of you come. He's opening his arms wide. His invitation is to anyone who will come because some of you have already started discounting that this applies to me. <laughs> and Calvin calls it a perverted doubt. So let me give you an illustration of this because again, if you work with people, trying to help people to know Jesus better, you will hear this statement. Trust me, you'll hear it. I've heard it many times where people will say to me, Clyde, I know God forgives me, but I cannot forgive myself. You ever said that? You heard somebody say it? Now, logically, we know that makes no sense, does it? I mean, if God has forgiven you of all your sins, if Jesus has done all this great work, why would you say that or believe that's true? Now, we're not going to dive deep into this right now, but you see how the person is saying, somehow I have a way to exclude myself from the hesed, from the mercy and love of God, because I am bearing the weight of my failure to such a degree that I feel responsible to the degree that I am unforgivable. That's a dark place to be. That's a hard place to be. And again, uh, follow me close here. I, again, I'll tell you a, sort of a Southern Bubba story uh, is, is that uh, when I was young, I would hear this uh, country preacher come to our church and he would preach. 
and he'd get really at one of the places where he was one of his key points. And he was a big old man, big old suit. I can see him swaying back and forth in front of the big pulpit. And he'd lean over and he'd take his glasses off and he'd lean forward and go, now, follow me close. <laughs> he'd say, follow me close, hang it, get right here because this is where you want to go. This is where you want to be. And he would make this point of the invitation of Jesus, even when we doubt it's for us. So that what qualifies this morning, if you can admit that you're weary, that you're heavy laden, you are qualified, and it's for anyone and everyone to respond to it. And then to see this, Jesus says, Jesus brings you a gift, much like Hannah gave me that gift of that sign, there's no vacancy in the Trinity. He says, I want you to take my yoke, now, no self-respecting rabbi, nobody living during Jesus' time would have said, take my yoke. Uh, the yoke was the yoke of the law. It's about the word of God, the teaching of God. It has other imagery here, but they heard this word a lot. So most of us, if we were living during Jesus' time, we would try and position ourselves under the teaching of the yoke of a particular rabbi. Uh, and um, like Hillel, for example, and there are others as well. So I'm going to put myself under the yoke of this teaching. But Hillel, as a rabbi, would never say, it's my yoke. He would say, it's God's yoke. So when Jesus clues you in right here, he's saying, this is my yoke. This is my teaching. It's reflecting back on the Sermon on the Mount. But again, let's back up. We, we speculate here. We don't have any reason to believe this is true, but you know, you have to, it's fun to sort of think about the first 30 years of Jesus' life, and some of you go, man, I've been following Jesus for a long time. I've been a Christian a long time, and when are things really going to happen? And Jesus spent 30 years so he could understand the frustration that some of you have with, I really want to make a difference. I really want to do something significant for God, but it seems like you're stuck in this sort of perpetual period of your life where you're going, what? What does this all mean? How's it all fitting together? Well, Jesus became a carpenter. He apprenticed under his father, Joseph. And part of what carpenters did is they made these wooden yokes for oxen. And you kind of wonder if Jesus, when he's making the yokes, because you know he can make the best yoke ever, <laughs> you know, if he kind of held back and he didn't you know, do it as good as he could, because everybody go, I want a yoke that Jesus makes, you know? But he would have learned how to design and build the yoke uh, that would fit that particular oxen perfectly. Now, this is really exciting. If you've never seen this before, follow me close, <laughs> okay? Jesus has designed a yoke for you personally. That's how powerful this is. Oh my goodness, Jesus knows what you need, when you need it, how you need it, because he loves you perfectly, and he's designed a way for you to know who he is and what he wants to show you. If you will say, Jesus, I'm gonna take this gift, I'm gonna take this yoke and let it fit on my story, into my story, so I wanna live in your story, so I want what you want more than I want for myself. And as soon as you say that, it opens up to you that Jesus has a signature way for each one of you to know that he is your savior. So when you say, oh yeah, I'll, you know, I'll just take a, a yoke off the rack. You know, it's one yoke fits all kind of thing. No, it is perfectly designed to fit you 
and what you need right now, but you can't get there unless you say, Jesus, I receive this gift, and I take this yoke, and show me the things you want to reveal to me in your word that tell me uh, who I am and where you want to take me. It is so powerful. Uh, another great gift that I have been given um, was uh, a young man that I baptized as a baby. Uh, he's now uh, just, a, he's an amazing designer of clothes. And so he makes personal handmade suits for people. Now we don't, many of us wear suits anymore. Some of us can remember when that was sort of the, you know, what you did was you wore a suit. But Mitch designed a suit for me that someday when we are all dressed up at some event, uh, I'll show it to you and you'll go, brother, you look so good in that suit. <laughs> and I'll open it up and I'll have embroidered in there, Clyde Elgott, but, you know, and, I, and he's got some other things he's embroidered, other little, you know, messages that he gave to me. But when, you, when I put that suit on, it is perfect, it fits so well. And you know how it is when you put on something that makes you look good, even though you know you're not good? You go, man, man, I feel good. I look so good in this. This is when you take Jesus' yoke. It will feel good. It will look good on you. And you'll become the person that God has made you to be. Um, there's no way to over-exaggerate or over-celebrate this gift. In the book, Dane Orland, he uses that line. He said, it is impossible for the affectionate heart of Christ to be over-celebrated or exaggerated through the understanding of the yoke. Now, Jesus says, if you take this yoke, you're going to get rest. We see a little bit later, it's rest for your soul. It's not physical rest. And here is, again, a place to just sort of think about this. That Jesus designed for you taking his yoke is that you will become a wholehearted person. Not a divided hearted person, not a person who's functioning at 30 or 40 percent. You're going to become fully alive to the love of God. One of the early church fathers says, God is most glorified in a person who's fully alive. If I ask you right now, if you and I were having coffee or tea or uh, pizza or just talking, I said, who are the people in your life that you would say are wholehearted people? What are some of the descriptions that you would use of that person who's wholehearted? Because they found a ability to rest in Jesus that's making them whole, wholehearted. Um, you know, I'm going to just pick one person that uh, if I was to describe him to you, he was so much fun to be around. <laughs> he was a crazy cat. He's no longer living, but he was just so much, he had so much energy. And he had so much love. And he had so much joy. And he was passionate. He was a house of fire. He brought the fuego. He brought the joy. And he was so much fun to be around. It doesn't mean that he was happy all the time. You know, we get accused of sloppy agape, you know, this kind of thing that everybody give me a J, put the balloons up, that kind of thing. He knew how to ride the wave of great joy and great sadness. He was fully alive. So when we talk about this invitation to wholeheartedness, I want to ask you today, would you describe yourself as being wholehearted? Would you see yourself when you look in the mirror, I am a wholehearted woman. 
before God because of who Christ is and what he's done for me. Or I'm a wholehearted teenager. I'm a wholehearted man because, Jesus, I am understanding the greatness of your loving heart towards me. So what Jesus is inviting you, this rest for your souls, is that it will set you free to do what he calls us to do, which is to go and heal the brokenhearted, to set the captive free, to bring these things to bear, which reflects his mission, which he's now fulfilling through people like you and me in this broken world. And what happens when you see somebody who's wholehearted is that you see their heart. Um, they're living their life out of their heart rather than their head. Now, in our culture, in our society, um, you see a lot of people who know how to say the right thing, they explain the right thing. But what do you do when you talk to a Christian who is doing all the right things for the right reasons, but because his or her heart is not engaged, and I've had this said to me more than once, they'll look at me and go, I hate my life. Whoa. <laughs> I hate my life. Now, these are followers of Jesus. So if you're thinking about being a Christian and considering Christianity, let's, let's get real. Let's have Christians suffer and struggle just the way you do. Uh, they're, they're in that same arena. They're feeling the pain and loss and tragedy of their world. Or what would you do if you were sitting with me? I'm having breakfast with one of my dear friends. Uh, he's the head of a major company, incredibly successful. I mean, he's on top of the world in terms of everything you could ask for materially and financially and accomplish. And he leans over to me and he says, why do I feel like such a fraud? Why do I feel like such a fraud on the inside? Now, he is showing me his heart, but his head, his accomplishments, his abilities are not in line with his heart. And that's why we need a savior. That's why we need Jesus. He alone can heal our hearts. He alone can come and live in our hearts. Now. Here's another way that I, I can tell you if you know what this means, the rest for your soul, or what Jesus wants to invite you to. If you and I, again, sitting down over coffee, and I would say to you, Joan, you have a really good heart. Now, for most Christians, when they hear that, they go, oh, here you go, pastor, that psycho babble. I don't have a good heart. My heart's desperately corrupt. Jeremiah 17, who can understand it? I am such a train wreck. And you're telling me I have a good heart? And I go, no, God tells you you have a good heart because he promised to give you a heart of flesh and to give you Jesus' heart in your heart. And because that's true, you have an amazing good heart. Woo! <laughs> it's like, is that true? Take his yoke. Learn from him. Learn that he has something for you and me to experience together. We learn about the goodness of his heart by realizing I have a good heart. This is how you know you're wholehearted. I'm living out of the goodness of Jesus' heart in my heart because he's changing me and rearranging me in ways that I never thought I could be changed or rearranged. I have a good heart because Jesus' heart is right here. Now, again, a wholehearted person, she lives out of her heart. She's kind, she's merciful. She's discovered the joy of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle and lowly, we haven't even got there because we're gonna keep going. That's why this passage is so rich and so full. Um, but to know that 
The goodness of a new heart is gentle and quiet. Now, Peter talks about that for women uh, to experience that, but it applies to men as well. Um, we all need to discover Jesus' gentle and lowly heart so that when we're around people, when we love people, our hearts are gentle and lowly the way Jesus has redeemed us and made us to be. Let us pray. Uh, Father, we thank you this morning for uh, this amazing love that invites us to be wholehearted, that Jesus, you have a gift for us that we desperately need. And forgive us how often you've said, come, and we've turned the other way. Or we've deafened uh, ourselves to, we become deaf in the face of your invitation. But we pray right now at this time in this space, we will not miss you saying, come and take my yoke and you will find a wholeheartedness, a rest in my soul that I would never have were you not the savior of my story and the reality of who you want me to be. So Jesus, we're so thankful uh, uh, for your kindness and mercy to us uh, today. And we thank you now we get to come and feed at this table, which is a table of rest. And so Jesus, have mercy on us, the sinners that we are, but the daughters and sons that we are. For we pray this in your name. Amen.